Well, today's passage from Matthew 10, if you were here last week, you know that it picks up where our reading in Matthew's gospel ended last week. You'll remember that in Matthew chapter 10, we hear Jesus' charge, his admonition, his sending forth to his 12 disciples as he sends them out as missionaries. And the scripture says in Matthew 10 verse 6, he's sending them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, you could call this whole passage Jesus' manifesto for missionaries. Jesus' manifesto for missionaries. And far from being relevant only to those who are on a foreign mission field somewhere, we need to remember that all, all of God's church is wrapped up in God's missionary effort in the world. That includes us here at Church of the Lamb. And we call that, that concept, that idea that we're all a part of God's mission in the world, the missio dei, God's mission in the world. And thus, this passage really does apply to us today. Uh, we're all called to be missionaries in our homes and in our communities. And so you are missionaries here in the valley. That's what your role is. Now, there is a phrase that we hear a lot today that's relevant to what we're going to be talking about. It's what we, and certainly to what we talked about last week. I, I think I started hearing this phrase first in academic settings uh, maybe 10 years ago. And that phrase is this, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. For instance, Dr. Jones, I, I don't feel safe in this class. Now, typically, it doesn't mean that someone is genuinely, genuinely fearing for their physical safety uh, in the sense that they're concerned about personal bodily harm occurring to them in Dr. Jones's class. Usually what it means is this, I don't feel like people agree with me. Or my ideas and my assumptions and the things that I like are being challenged. In fact, it is often used as a means of being passive-aggressive, of getting your way and shutting down disagreement. If you disagree with me, you're a bad person. That makes me feel unsafe. Well, as we heard in Matthew chapter 10 last week, Jesus seems to be going out of his way to make sure to let his disciples know that by following him, by being on mission with him, and by being agents of God's kingdom, they are decidedly not going to be safe. He says to them, you're going to get in trouble with the law. You're going to be publicly beating, beaten. Excuse me. You are going to be betrayed by those closest to you and put to death because of me. You're going to be maligned, and people are going to say all kinds of horrible things about you that are completely false. And the disciples saith unto him, Lord, we feel triggered. Seriously, in the face of all these alarming warnings to his disciples, Jesus says, but do not be afraid. God cares for you. Even if you die for my sake, you will live. God is in control. And that's where we concluded our, our time together in God's Word last week. Well, today's text is a continuation of that discourse in Matthew's gospel. And so let's dive right in at the beginning of the text here in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That is just not the kind of thing we expect Jesus to say. Uh, what is he talking about here? What is this sword that he speaks of? Well, first of all, the sword in this context re represents conflict. The good news of the kingdom of God is met by resistance whenever it goes out. Often violent resistance. The gospel brings conflict. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he said this, the peace of Jesus is the cross. Listen to that. The peace of Jesus is the cross, but the cross is the sword God wields on earth. The peace of Jesus is the cross, but the cross is the sword God wields on earth. In the cross of Jesus, we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. In the cross, we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world in its sharpest contrast, in its fiercest conflict. The cross is the... And we sang this, didn't we? We sang this this morning. I love that, that Wesley hymn. Of course I love that Wesley hymn. I grew up singing that Wesley hymn. Um, and, and once upon a time, I could sing parts to that Wesley hymn, and now I just sing in the key of off, which is my favorite key to sing in. But the cross that we heard proclaimed in that message indicates that this is the supreme expression of God's love for the world. The cross is God's exclamation point of love for the world. And the cross is the supreme expression of the world's rejection of God's love. It is the world's emphatic statement, no, we don't want any of this. The cross is where Jesus most clearly expresses his kingship. And if we were to be reading in John's gospel, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues to speak of Jesus' experience on the cross as him being lifted up in the sense of being enthroned. So the cross is where Jesus most clearly expresses his kingship. In fact, the king of the Jews is what Pilate wrote on that sign that was nailed above Jesus' head on the cross as he hung there in shame. And the cross is where the world most clearly rejects Jesus' kingship. Uh, we, we heard, uh, well, I mentioned this, it was a passage out of Luke 19 a couple of Sundays ago, in that parable that Jesus tells of the, the minas, M-I-N-A-S. It's kind of like the parallel to the parable of the talents. And in that parable, though, it, the, these words are embedded, uh, that his subjects sent to the uh, emissary to the king, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And the cross is where the world says, we will not have this man to reign over us. So Jesus Christ enters this fallen, broken, dark world as the perfect embodiment of God's kingdom and of God's love. And the cross is how the world responds. And that's the sword of division. But the good news is that on the cross, God embraces the world's hostility with open arms. We say, there's one of our colleagues we say, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, at this hour... You hung on the cross. You spread out your arms of love. God embraces the world's hostility with open arms until all our frenzied hatred and rebellion have spent themselves against him in savage waves. And after all that rage and hatred, Jesus remains enthroned on God's love and that limitless, infinite love burns all the brighter. And because it cannot be extinguished, because the light of the world rose again on the third day, the cross for us is not a symbol of defeat. It is the emblem of our victory. It is the standard that we, fall, we follow into mission in the world. Now here's the application for those disciples and for us in this room. 
This is so important. We need to remember this. Every time God's love and God's kingdom encounter the darkness of this world, the result is, listen, the cross. That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 38. We heard it this morning. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whenever God's kingdom and the love of his kingdom encounter the darkness of the world, the result is a cross. So Jesus says, do you want to follow me? Be ready to bear the cross. So if you go on the mission field to reach people who have never heard the good news about Jesus, the result is going to be a cross. You will be entering into spiritual warfare. I have not come to bring peace upon the earth. I've come to bring a sword. Spiritual warfare. If you try to plant a new church like you have done here in the valley, I mean, over and over again, really, from the Church of, Incar of the Incarnation and here and in Stanton and in Crozet and every day, evidently everywhere you stop, there's one now. One of y'all, one of y'all did that. But the reality is every time that happens, there's spiritual conflict. It's never easy to plant a church. There's always going to be a cross involved. Or if you try living out or try to bring the gospel into the academy or into finance, or business, or medicine, or the media, or public policy, or any other area where the anti-God systems of the world dominate, you will encounter the cross. And though you may see the results of this through human rejection and opposition, what's really at work is the violent response of our spiritual adversaries. Paul says it. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. But the really amazing thing is, and the wonderful news is, that every time the world hands us a cross, God responds with resurrection. Every time God hands us, a, every time the world hands us a cross, if we walk faithfully in Christ, God's response is the victory of resurrection. Romans six five. We heard it this morning. For if you have been, if you have been united with Him in a death like His, bearing the cross, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. It's a promise in God's word. When we experience the cross, if we remain faithful, we will experience the victory of resurrection. So don't give up. Embrace the cross that comes. It is not a defeat, and it's not the end. It is the sword that God wields on the earth. And then Jesus says that following him is an inherently divisive act, an inherently divisive act. I've experienced this in my own family. Jesus says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Following Jesus brings division, sometimes the most painful kind of division. You know, we live in an incredibly divided period of history right now, at least here in the United States. And we rightly see that kind of divisiveness in our world right now as something to be lamented, something that we should be sorry about. But we need to realize that some kinds of division are necessary. For instance, there's the division between truth and falsehood. It's a necessary division. 
There's a division between good and evil. To choose truth and good means that you will necessarily be be dividing yourself from falsehood and evil. The supreme example of this kind of division is the choice uh, to follow Jesus and be be loyal to Jesus on the one hand or to reject him on the other hand. That's That's the cross. That's the sword that Jesus brings. That division happens even in families. It's probably happening in families in this room today. Some of us have faced the enmity and scorn of our children or our siblings or our parents because we have chosen to be loyal to Jesus above everything else. And you know, we beat ourselves up about that. And we think if we could have just been more winsome, if we could just be more winsome, people would accept us as followers of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that the reality is that even if we were all perfectly adorable little Christians, those who reject Christ would view us as enemies. The person of Jesus Christ is inherently divisive. In the face of that kind of opposition and division, Jesus calls us to remain unshakably loyal to him. Brothers and sisters, I call on us all. I have to hear these words myself. One of my greatest fears is when the time of testing comes, I will not be found to stand for the Lord. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus, print this, engrave this in my heart. And make me stand firm. Because other loves and other loyalties will woo us. They will motivate us to compromise. The pressure is enormous to surrender our loyalty to Jesus Christ alone. But if we remain loyal to Jesus, even unto death, we will find the life that is truly life. What is it, Jim Elliott? Do you remember that quote from Jim Elliott? He is no fool. Do you, somebody, you, you missionary people knew this. How, how does it go? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot He gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the logic of the cross. Can such a thing be true? Can it be true that God always advances, not only is the cross that point of division, but listen, brothers and sisters, it is a play, this is God's one means of advancing the kingdom. This is, this is plan A, there is no plan B. The cross is plan A, there is no plan B. This is how God always advances his kingdom reign on earth. It's, on, it's supremely manifest on the cross of Calvary and on the crosses we experience in our lives and our loyalty to Jesus Christ, our love for him and our love for those who reject him and reject us. God advances his kingdom. Victory comes because of that. And there's no other way for real victory over evil. We are in the between times right now. There comes times when you, we have to resist evil. The generation previous to mine had to resist a great evil at the a great cost with the force of arms. There's no, I, I know there's Mennonites in the room, so close your ears. All right, sorry. But in the between times, it had to happen. 
that force was used to resist evil. But God's kingdom never advances by force. It advances by the cross. Can this be true? Well, let me tell you a true story. This actually is adapted from a book called To Quell the Terror. It's very powerful. During the French Revolution's reign of terror, on the evening of July 17, 1794, in Paris's Place de la... Place de, I, I practiced all week. I practiced. John Hayes knows I practiced. Place de la Nation. Uh-huh. I would like to have some fromage right now. <laughs> So in Paris's Place de la Nation, a hardened crowd waited at the guillotine for the carts carrying that day's batch from Le Palais de Justice. Instead of the usual jeers and taunts that day, though, a hush fell over the plaza. As the carts bringing the condemned to the scaffolds approached, the crowd heard female voices serenely singing the Te Deum Laudamus, and we sang it today. Did you know that that's Holy God, we praise your name, is a metrical rendering of the Te Deum. The singers were 16 sisters from the Carmelite Monastery in Compania. They should have looked sad and terrified. They were about to die, but instead they looked peaceful and, in fact, joyful. The reason for the Carmelites' joy was their conviction that the guillotine was literally, this is outrageous, but I want you to hear this. They saw that the guillotine was literally literally the answer to their prayers because every day for almost two years, the sisters had made a daily act of consecration in which they offered their own lives to God as a sacrifice to restore peace, help France, and stop the killing. At the scaffold, the sisters performed the devotions normal for dying Carmelites. The nuns renewed their monastic vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Then they sang the ancient hymn, Come, Creator, Spirit, Vine, Creator, Spiritus. Then Mother Teresa of St. Augustine walked over to the foot of the scaffold steps and turned to face her spiritual daughters. And she summoned 29-year-old Sister Constance, the youngest sister who approached And previously, Sister Constance had expressed a terrible fear of the guillotine. At the scaffold that night, she showed no fear whatsoever. At the steps, Sister Constance knelt at her prioress's feet and received a blessing. Bowing her head, she asked, permission, she said, permission to die, mother. Go, my daughter. Sister Constance rose from her knees. A witness described her as radiant, as radiant as a queen going to receive her diadem. And she, as she began to climb the scaffold, she spontaneously began to sing Psalm 117. And hearing Constance sing, her sisters immediately took up the chant, Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you peoples. For great is his loving kindness towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. At the top of the scaffold steps, Sister Constance waved aside the executioner. 
and she walked on her own to the vertical balance plank. She was strapped to it and then lowered into a horizontal position, and with a swoosh and a thud, the guillotine had cut the number of voices to 15. The remaining voices rose in defiance. About every two minutes, one voice would fall away from the others to be heard no more. Each sister, when her time came, went to her spiritual mother and knelt receiving a blessing and asked permission to die. Mother, go my daughter. The psalm chant stopped only when the last Carmelite, the prioress, Mother Teresa of St. Augustine at age 41, climbed the scaffold steps and followed her daughters in Christ. Just three hours earlier, earlier, at La Palais de Justice, the sisters had been condemned to death at a show trial, proving them enemies of the people. The blatantly false charges included hiding weapons in your convent. And in answer, Mother Teresa of St. Augustine lifted up the cross from around her neck and held it up to the presiding judge and said, This is the only weapon our convent has ever had. This. And that cross conquered. Because just ten days after the Carmelite sisters fulfilled their vow and offered themselves up in sacrifice to stop the bloodshed, Robespierre, perhaps the key architect of the reign of terror, fell from power, and the next day on July 28, 1794, he was guillotined, and the reign of terror soon ended. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Brothers and sisters, this is powerful. Um, The Greek word would be dunamis. It's dynamite. The truth of the cross God's victory through the cross. And our incorporation into God's victory in the cross, His sharing of the cross with us, is dynamite that brings down spiritual strongholds. We're armed with the only weapon we need. And that's the gospel of Jesus, crucified and resurrected. We are called to the mission field in this beautiful place that God has given us. Everything we do here, everything, every tree that's planted, everything that's done here is mission, an expression of God's goodness in the world. But it doesn't just stop with planting trees and building a building. It always must be, at its core, the proclamation of the good news. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Stand in the strength of that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.